Hi guys, welcome to another surprise bonus Rahalastapa. This one coming from Hull City Hall with the amazing Graham Fellows, aka John Shuttleworth, aka Jilted John, and many other things beside that, as you are going to discover. Listen, if you like these podcasts, please support us in any way you can. Just telling your friends about the podcast will be a massive help. Uh, the more listens we can get, the better it is for us. Uh, also, you can, of course, become a monthly badger. Go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges. For £3 or more a month, you can get loads of extras, including backstage videos, lots of other bits of video footage that you can't see anywhere else. Um, you get advance warning of who the guests are going to be. You get entered into a monthly draw. You get ad-free audio of the podcast, if that's what you're into. Uh, loads more stuff besides. It's just brilliant, plus a little membership card and some badges. And a secret code you can talk to each other with. It's beautiful. And all the money from that goes to making more podcasts. So if you've enjoyed these podcasts over the years and would like us to do more, um, then please help us in that way if you can. Or just come and buy a ticket. Go to richtown.com slash gigs. You can see that I'm in London, Norwich and Birmingham in 2020 so far. There will be more gigs added, I am sure. It's been really good fun on tour. Um, thanks so much if you did come along to see that. All right. Let's say goodbye. I love you all. Thanks for listening to this introduction. Now it is time to listen to Rahalastapa with Graham Fellows. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Hull City Hall. Please welcome a man who was born in Pocklington. And thus everyone in this audience is his sworn enemy. It's Richard Herring! Brilliant to be here. Uh, we should, we're all from the East Riding of Yorkshire. We should all, we have to get on now. We have to put the past behind us. We're all, William Wolfforce belongs to us all. That is the, that's the thing to remember. Welcome uh, to the show. Uh, this is a podcast. It's called Rockfish, Halibut, Lamprey, Sardine, Trout, Pollock. They love fish here in Hull. So I just made it very much. Got to come up with new ideas for podcasts. This is just... Do you like the way I made H stand for halibut, not herring there? That was my favourite. About 50% of the audience are here because they love fish so much here. They actually thought Richard Herring was just a fish that had come, gained enough sentience to be able to talk. Thought, great, we'll see a fish doing some comedy. Very disappointed people in the audience. Uh, It's lovely to be in Hull. Uh, King Charles I was refused access to Hull leading to the Siege of Hull, the first action of the uh, Civil War. Ironically, if they'd just let him have a look, he'd have just gone, yeah, it's shit, let's go on. <laughs> you always want something you can't have, that's the thing, isn't it? Go, oh, that wasn't worth it. Uh, lots of facts about Hull I've got for you. The, uh, the George Hotel in Hull claims it has the smallest window in England. That is the best thing about Hull. <laughs> They've got a very small window. It's not even definitely the smallest just claimed that it's a slit really it doesn't even count that's all you've got uh, people from Hull like to be referred to as Hullensians sadly nobody calls you that I'm sorry you might like to know that I've never heard of that in my life well, twats we call we call you twats um, uh, the most famous inhabitant of uh, Hull was Robinson Crusoe who set sail from Hull in the beginning of his book He's a fictional character. That is the most funny. It's not even real. And yet you still have a plaque to him up in uh, Queen's Gardens that he doesn't exist. You, should, you could make a bit more of it. I would, if there was a Tales of Robinson Crusoe experience here in Hull, I would definitely go and visit it. Um, oh, I didn't do the bit that I meant to do. Uh, I was hanging out on the uh, fish trail and a carp on Aldred Gelder Street said he calls it Rahulastapa. I forgot, I forgot to do it. Forgot to do that, that's the money shot. We'll move it around in the edit, it'll look amazing. <laughs> uh, and what else have I got for you? Um, oh, let's, uh, oh yeah, hold on, wrong page. Uh, invented, I'm sure these things were invented in somewhere else in Yorkshire where I went, but apparently Lemsip, Bongella and Gaviscon were all invented in Hull by a very ill person. That's just the kind of... They had to be invented. Necessity is the mother of invention. There's a lot of mouth-ulcered, ill people shitting themselves. 
have to invent that. Uh, World War II, 90% of Hull was destroyed by the Nazis. So it wasn't all bad, was it? They weren't all, they wasn't all bad. They weren't all bad. Just 10% off. And that's all I have for you. Thank you for coming. Right, my, um, some hell facts. I wrote those uh, in the dressing room. I hope you enjoyed them. I drove myself up today, so it was, it was, it was you know, I'm quite impressed that I managed to get those in. Um, now, my guest this week, remember, this is just, there's just one guest. Come back next week if you want. He's probably best known as the character Sinjin from the brilliant sitcom, the world's best sitcom of all time. Time, gentlemen, please. Yeah. Will you please welcome, ladies and gentlemen, it's Graham Fellow! There's a microphone on your seat. Don't sit on it. Pick it up. Sorry, right behind you. It's, right, it's, okay. it's just on you. It's just on the, on the seat there. An SM58. That's what I like to see. <laughs> yeah. I played this theatre about 20 years ago. It was only slightly fuller. Right, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Good echo. Yeah, so well, that is the thing. From up here, it echoes. It'll sound all right at home, but oh, okay. I find it quite difficult. I've, I've been playing a lot of cavernous venues, I have to say, on this tour, right. uh, and uh, we've overstretched ourselves, you know. You know <laughs> yeah, it's all full up there. Just don't look up there. So you don't uh, have, you and, don't have uh, audience mics. So. Well, I see, I find the echo. If we talk at the same time, I can't hear what you're saying. Sorry, Richard. No, it's all right, but that's... Yeah. Uh, problem. No, I'm just saying, how are you going to get the sort of dead sound required for a podcast? Well, it'll work. The, the guy, George, the incompetent sound guy back there that you've met, he will sort that out. He was very excited to come to Hull. He usually have a different guy come on tour, but he couldn't do it. And they asked George, and George said, I've always wanted to come to Hull. It's like 40 years old. He could easily have come to Hull. <laughs> he was that excited about it, but he never has done. So he's very excited to be here. He used to have a poster of Hull on his bedroom wall. <laughs> yeah? He showed it to me. Who's George? That guy back there, the guy we met, you met Oh, him. yeah. It's George. He's incompetent. He, he, he filmed us with an iPhone, hopefully. Uh, what do you remember about appearing on uh, Time Gentleman, Please? Do you remember that sitcom? Does anybody here remember that sitcom? Yeah, yeah it was, I thought it was quite good. It was quite and good. We were just talking about it backstage, <laughs> yeah. and you said you had to suddenly write... 10 extra episodes in like a day I'd, and you thought they were better than the ones that were taking you ages I had to write a wi- ten, in 10 weeks basically so yeah. I had to write one a week so yeah I, was, I, was, I chanced across one of our episodes you were, I think there was the hospital on the second time you were in you were in two that was the second time yeah, yeah. I, I, it was great there were pe- really good actors like Phil Daniels working on it and yeah. um, Julia Sawala thank yeah. you for saying her surname <laughs> uh, yeah and, and, it, and you, were play, you played the postman and I, I played a St. John's Ambulance Driver. And yeah. It was, well, to be honest, it probably came at a good time because I've been doing John Shuttleworth incessantly for probably 10 years and it was like a sudden little break from, yeah. from that. I mean, you started off in acting or you were, you, were, you were aiming to be an actor and you've done various bits and pieces of acting over the years. Well, I was an actor, yeah. I went to Manchester Poly School of Theatre, yeah. which had some quite famous people went there, Julie Walters, Bernard Hill... A few years after me, Steve Coogan went when the standard had slipped. <laughs> um, but <laughs> it was a good drama school. It was a method uh, method school, right? You know, you know what that means. I do. It means you. I don't you have really to live. Know what it you means. have to sort of live the part, don't you? Yeah, to, yeah. If you're a playing a fat guy, you have to eat lots of pies. I've been that, I've been methoding that one for for a while. That's it. Haven't yet had the part. Yeah, I was in a, a, a Nibson play called Brand, and I remember going onto the moors and, and, and getting very cold. Right. Because he, that was, he was up in the, in the Alps in, in Norway okay. getting very cold. Yeah. And I got a cold and then I couldn't do the play. <laughs> no. I just made that up, but I got a laugh. <laughs> no, it's, right. it's true, I did, get, um, I did go in the moors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you got... But, well, I'm very... I, you know, I, I was a big fan uh, as a youngster of Jilted John, which sort of exploded onto the pop scene. Yeah. Which I don't think many... I think a lot of people don't realise that John Shuttleworth and Jilted John are played by the same person. I mean, it's quite... A lot of people don't realise that Jilted John is called Jilted John. They call it Gordon is a moron. Right. <laughs> um, and I, perhaps it could have been called that. But it just seemed a bit of a dumb title, whereas Jilted John by Jilted John seemed quite a minimal and cool. Yes. And we were trying to be cool in a bizarre way. I mean, I was at drama school 
1977, and there was a guitar sitting around in the canteen, and a lot of, uh, being, in a, being a method school, it was sort of about breaking you down. So a lot of the first year was sort of doing menial jobs like sweeping the stage and right. hanging around. And uh, So I saw this guitar, and I just picked it up and couldn't play the guitar at all, but I tuned it to uh, an open chord. Do you know what I mean by that? I do, yes. <laughs> no, because normally you go down, down. It's not yeah. a chord, and you have to do fingering, but if you tune it to a chord, it's, you just put your finger across the frets, yeah. like you would in a steel guitar. And it's dead easy then, so I just went... And suddenly I thought, hey, that's quite a good riff. And then I went... And I had the song. Yeah. And in one lunch hour, I wrote it. Yeah. It's very much like the creation of yesterday, isn't it? It's very much like the creation of yesterday by Paul McCartney. He dreamt that tune, and you just. I think he should have stuck with scrambled eggs eggs because that's a much better lyric than than yesterday. Yeah, that might be John Chart we're talking. It's one. It might be, but it's it's not. I mean, yesterday is one of my least favourite Paul McCartney songs. It's very self-conscious. It's he's, he's trying to write a great classic. Yeah, he dreamt it. He didn't. He can't help it. Yeah, but if he'd stayed with scrambled eggs, he could have talked about the, all the problems of scrambling. And yeah. They didn't have a microwave then. That's the way to do it now, mm, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did, the, uh, how did it go from you picking up a guitar at drama school to you being on top of the pops and getting to number four in the hit parade? I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's sort of uh, well, it was incredible a incredible journey, isn't it? It was, it was in combination of uh, luck and arrogance, I would say. Because I, I honestly thought it was really good. And uh, you've got to remember that at the time, the music industry was so different. You, it was a time that the Baron Knights were still having hits. I remember you know, them. Parodying songs in the charts. So parody songs, comedy songs were, were, were quite popular and would get played by DJs. So yeah. I wrote this song and I, I, I remember going to make the demo and I had 25 quid in my hand because my friend who accompanied me got, found the studio said... It's about 25 quid. And it was 80 quid. <laughs> but the guy was so shocked that he just, oh, give it here. So I, he let me have the tape for 25 quid. And then I just walked into a record uh, company in, in Manchester, the only one that I could find. Uh, it, well, it was the only one, Rabid Records, and then Factory Records uh, that people will have heard of. Um, that appeared a little bit later. And I just walked in with my tape. They were sitting around drinking coffee. That's not very punk, is it? <laughs> they were a punk label. And um, we put it on and they went, oh, that's quite good. And then about a month later, we were recording it in Oldham. And uh, I, we did things that were a bit naughty. Uh, we, we, we wrote letters to DJs pretending to be fans. Right. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was, it was of its time. Like you, and, and the charts, you know, even going into record shops, buying a buying a copy. Yeah. I didn't do that. Certain people did that. Right. But everybody did that. That's why I'm happy to admit that because that was the way the charts, they had chart return shops where only a few shops comprised the charts. But, I mean, I think it came out in July and it captured the imagination of every seven-year-old in the country. Yeah. So they, and, and most people, you know, young people thought, wow, this is a bit different. Yeah. And I guess it was because it's, it was more or less the first song I'd ever written. And if, if the structure of it is bonkers. It, it, you know, the chorus, Gordon is a moron, happens once. <laughs> and then it just goes on with this kind of coda of just this, the chord repeating it with this rant. Yeah. It's so, so upset, yeah, yeah. I'll just smash his face in. And it, it just, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's what made it Yeah, special. well, watching it again today... Um, I, it sort of struck me it's quite Rick from the young ones it's like you're Rick you know the, the, the persona you the mean the other way around well I do I mean Rick you know I, you, exactly yeah. I do I do mean that I think, I think there's, a, there's a certain timbre to the way he speaks the way you speak uh, and, and what, what then followed you know and that idea of that being that slightly nerdy guy mm. trying to be cool yeah it's sort of it's but I was doing a, you know I have to be fair it was a parody of a punk song yeah uh, to start with because I was a, a part-time punk, you know. I used to take my earrings out at night. Um, but I, I thought punk was okay, but I thought there were a lot of silly things in it. Yeah, like yeah. 
people going, here we go, two, three, four, and yeah. all that, halfway through the song. You know? <laughs> so that's where that came from. But that's the best, that's the, the best bit in the song. I know, there's a lot of good bits. It yeah, is, it is, it's, it really, is. it's really no, you're good. Right. It is. It's really good. The song is, is solid. It's a, and in fact, I remember listening to the album at Jeff Quigley's house, sitting on Jeff Quigley's bed. There was a whole album of songs. The one about going steady was was that the B side of? Well, that was nearly the A nearly the A side, but it was John Peel on Radio One who picked up the A side, and, and that therefore became it was yeah, it was like a double A to yeah, start with. Yeah, because that's a good. So there's a, there was some good songs on that album. Yeah, did anyone see my tour last year as Jilted John? Yeah, yeah that was good, wasn't it? <laughs> that was very cathartic because you see, I'd never toured as Jilted John. I went straight back to drama school, having had this massive hit aged just nineteen. And I went back to drama school thinking I'd be really cool and not, um, you know, be a pop star. Yeah. And went straight back into method acting. And, <laughs> and I think I always felt a sense of loss that I'd never really capitalised on it. So last year we went out and did a, um, a big tour. And we didn't come to Hull, did we? Did we? No. Where did no we good come choice. To? But we, no, we did about 10, don't 12... Encourage, they'll only come and see stuff if you come here. I mean... It, 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 I, I lost about two grand on the tour. Oh, did but, you? <laughs> um, it was a big success. And, yes. uh, that, because normally I'm just on my own, like yourself, Richard. I, yeah. I have a keyboard and I have a kit bag and my own microphone. And, and it, but it's, it's very minimal. So, yeah. you know, you can make money touring. But if you've got a big band and you have to hire a van sudden, and book travel lodges, yes. yeah. it suddenly becomes very expensive. It does, it does. But yeah. I had a lot of fun and it was very cathartic to, to do to get up at age 59 yeah. and sort of pogo and be silly. And, uh... But it's also, it's sort of within, it's right as well, isn't it? Because he would, he would come back and do a comeback to the character would do it as well. Well, there's and a like lot the of them doing it, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, but having never done it before, I, 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 and when I did Top of the Pops, I just sort of stood at the mic, like a sort of rabbit in the headlights a bit. That was the kind of act. But yeah. I thought, well, I can't really get away with that age 59. So I actually threw myself into being a bit of a punk. Yeah. I even swore, Richard, wow. at one point. And I know you don't swear. I don't swear, no, because I... And, and that's the hallmark of John Shuttleworth. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's why people... Uh, a lot of people like it, because uh, it's, it's sort of gentle comedy anyway, but there's no... They can bring their kids. Yeah. Um, well, and what was it like? I, I watched all three... This, you won Top of the Pops three times with the same song? Three different performances? Yeah. Uh, three different uh, hosts of... Top of the Pops, yeah. Peter Powell, Kid Jensen. We can talk about both of them to the. We're allowed. They're, they're, you got two. You were lucky. Like sixty-six percent. Fine. So far, as far as I think, we're safe with those two. Uh, Jimmy Savile, I saw introduce you, oh, was, which is a. You don't see that anymore. He's been. He's been. He's been expunged, but not from YouTube. You still, can still see him on YouTube. He did seem very nice. Did he? No, nice one. Yeah. Oh, jilted Johnny. Oh. One of the nice guys of pop. Oh, he was seemed a lovely bloke. Yeah, that's how he. That's, that was his modus operandi. That's how he. I know. How he, that's how he treated people. And I was a good-looking lad, but I wasn't yeah. quite young enough. No. <laughs> so I was safe. Yeah. Um, uh, on your website, it claims you snogged to Debbie Harry. I don't know if that was. Uh, is that is that true, or you gave? Well, a... snog is a bit of an exaggeration. Yeah. It was. It was. I pecked her on the cheek. Okay. It was a publicity shot for the NME oh. to show that. Jilted John finally gets his girl, kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, did, was there any? Was, but, what was it? Was well, it? What was it like getting onto Top of the Pops as a? Were you were seventeen? Was is that how old you were? No, I was, I, was, I was actually just nineteen. Nineteen. But yeah, was, um, so, but you're teenagers still. Hmm. And then suddenly, from having an idea within three, four months, being on Top of the Pops, following Debbie Harry, in fact, the first time you're on. Yeah. And, um, and beating her in the charts. Right. And have this, and, and beating Abba as well. Wow. Yeah, they, they had Summer Night City, which is perhaps one of the worst songs. Isn't yeah, it? you were lucky. That got to number nine. I got to number four. Yeah. I was beaten by Brown Girl in the Ring. And, uh, Boney M, you can't beat Boney yeah. M. Summer Nights, all those massive oh, songs. Summer Nights, that's that. And, uh, but Dreadlock Holiday was the Yeah, one. Dreadlock Holiday, yeah. Now, are you better than Dreadlock Holiday? I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> Don't you think it's slightly better than Dreadlock Holiday? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was problem, fun. It was a fun problems. time. But uh, I think then going back to drama school... And sort of this kind of unrequited pop star thing and having to be just normal, but then actually being treated differently by people in my year. I found it a bit weird and I actually became quite reclusive um, 
for a while and um, also felt I had to start writing songs like mad and sort yeah. of follow it with the follow-up. Not realising that that song was such a weird standalone song, you couldn't really follow it. No. Well, and it's, you know, you're playing a cat. It's, a, it's just a strange thing, isn't it? And it's not, you didn't plan it. It wasn't like... No, a, I didn't really. It no. wasn't like a, a record company going, let's get this guy and do this. You know, you've just, you've created this thing. Well, it was done as a bit of a joke and yeah. in exactly the same way with, with John Shuttleworth, which, you know, we don't want to come into that now, but I was mucking about with listening to really bad demo tapes. I was trying to be a serious songwriter. I'd signed this publishing deal with Chapel Music because the acting work had kind of dried up. After drama school, I did um, a couple of years of acting, doing okay, you know. I was on Coronation Street yeah. a couple of times, meeting Gail. Both times I pr- played somebody who fancied Gail. Right. <laughs> What's the chances of that? <laughs> um, and I desperately want to go back on the third time, you know, the, to, right. to finally tie the knot or something. Yeah, we should, well, should sort that out. But if you're method acting, that means you have to... What do you do if you're fancying Gail? You have to... Well, I was a different character each time. Okay. Or was I? Maybe I was the same person <laughs> who was so in love with Gail comes back and gives that he crack. changed his name, yeah. changed his clothes yeah, that could work. Uh, to try and be close to her. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 so I signed a publishing deal because um, I had this al- indie album out called Love at the Hacienda. Yeah. I was in Manchester for about 10 years and, and that did okay and I got this publishing deal and was trying to write all these sort of indie pop songs, very soulful um, and basically I got completely waylaid by hearing these awful demos that, said that people would send in and they were just so funny you'd be like a guy playing the keyboard and you could hear his wife washing up in the background you know? <laughs> and they'd say at the end of the tape well thank you very much for listening to my songs please get in contact if there's anything you want to change <laughs> isn't that sad you know? <laughs> anything you want to change I'm more than happy to oh. you know and yet, it was a real kind of human element to them. Yeah. And, the, and the, the A&R guys listening to them were obviously far more obsessed with those than listening to the latest Madonna <laughs> single or something. So, so what I did for a joke, I went home and I made my own spoof bad <laughs> demo tape, sent it in to Chapel Music, and then a few days later, I sort of met, like, oh, have you had any tape? They realised it was me, but they, uh, after a while, and they just said... It was fantastic. We want more. Right. So I had to do another tape. And suddenly all my serious love songs just got completely <laughs> forgotten about. Yeah. And I had to come up with these comedy tapes. Right. And I did that for a couple of years. And then uh, um, started even doing gigs. I supported Robert Plant. <laughs> yeah. How weird is that? When he brought Big Log out, I, I was at the marquee. I, it was right. a special, yeah, I was the comedy support. And in those Does that days, work? Because that often doesn't work, does it? If the people are waiting for a big, <laughs> no, a big famous star and then someone comes No, it on. didn't work. No. It didn't work at all. Um, but I supported Robert Plant, I can say that. Yeah. Could be on my tombstone. <laughs> he was a very nice man. Okay. Very nice. But I, I kind of then jacked John Shuttleworth in. Right. Because it wasn't really going anywhere. Um, it was... It wasn't deep enough. As it, was, it needed fleshing out. Yeah. So I went back and did some acting... In Newcastle under Lyme. Right. <laughs> For about a year, had a bit of fun doing pantomime and Romeo and Juliet. I played Tybalt and my okay. dagger flew off and bounced. It was in the round and the dagger flew and hit the back wall. Oh my God. And bounced, ricocheted back and caught an audience member on the knee. Oh my goodness. And um, why they didn't sue the theatre, I don't know. Because, you know, people didn't do that in those days, no. did they? But then I went back to doing Shortworth, yeah. Yeah. And then oh. haven't stopped. And so how did, did you know about the comedy circuit at that stage? Or when, did, did you start doing it in Edinburgh? Or were, you doing it <coughs> the, were you doing it at clubs and stuff before? No, I was doing it kind of more in music venues. Yeah. Um, I even supported Jonathan Richman and uh, Dodgy at one point. Right. And uh, <laughs> they were good, they were good. Okay. But no, I, the comedy thing really started uh, when I came back with it. And, and I met a guy called Steve Finan, who was the son of Tom O'Connor. Oh, that's shut you up. Yeah. <laughs> and he was a lovely man, Steve. I think he went on to manage All Saints. Okay. And uh, marry a famous athlete. But, so I didn't take up his offer of representation, no. foolishly. But he, he took me around the, the comedy clubs of London. And I met um, uh, John Hegley and I, people like that and Jenny Eclair and 
uh, Donna McPhail, you know, you remember mm-hmm. those names from when yeah. you were starting out. And it, was, and it was suddenly a different world of, um, well, it was a lot more difficult. Yeah. But there were very few character comedians out there, but I can't think of any because they weren't really tolerated in a, in a sort of standard situation. Well, it was weird. This, it was sort of, this was the mid to late 80s, right? So, yeah, late, yeah. late 80s, early yeah. 90s now. Yeah. Talking, yeah. So, you know, it became much more... In the, in the sort of early 80s, there was a, quite a lot of speciality acts, but they wouldn't be characters, really. Uh, and, and then the 90s became a lot more men with microphones doing jokes, really. Yeah, was, well, that's the, that's the uh, scenario I would entered. That's the yeah. arena that I entered, and... So I struggled with quite a lot of my early shuttle with gigs and, and I, I soon found out that I had to kind of point up what the character was early on, otherwise they thought he was a real bloke. He yeah. was a shit performer. <laughs> so I, I had to say, um, can I slip into John? Yes, briefly? please do. I'm sure the audience would like. <laughs> um, I'd say, uh, I've, oh, I've made a demo of my tapes but, uh, and I sent it to uh, Paul Young. But I forgot to put Dolby on, so it, so it was a bit hissy. <laughs> it was too hissy for him, you know, so he sent it me back. So it had to have a really sort of obvious kind of yeah. audio joke early on, and then, then the audience went, hang on, this guy isn't for real, it's a comedy act. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and, um, and so you took that to, to Edinburgh, and, did, and you were nominated for the Perrier, it would have been then, was it, still? Yeah, I had, 92 was a very good year. Yeah, it was a, it was a strong <coughs> year. I fell under the patronage of Vic and Bob. Yes. They started coming to all my gigs and, and Miles Hunt from the Wonder Stuff and all that sort of crowd. And I was suddenly very trendy. And I, I think I was destined to either win the Perrier or, <coughs> or come second behind Steve Coogan yeah. and John Thompson, which is possibly what happened. You, well, you, you, know, know. you know that year, what I've heard about that year, because it was a very strong group of nominees, and I think if you looked at all of them, you'd go, wow, they've all pretty Mark much... Mark Thomas. Yeah, they've all Joe gone Brand. On. Yeah, they've all done pretty And much. I think Steve Coogan was everybody's second choice and nobody's first choice. So I think, ev- I think everyone... Is that true? Yeah, because well, it was so strong. That's, yeah. that's what I heard about. It. it might not be true. It might be an apocryphal tale. But, you know, if, you've, if you're... If everyone's can't agree, if everyone's got a different first place and everyone's got the same second place, then the second place wins on points. If so, yeah. without, without anyone but, coming first. No, I was I was sort of riding high and probably quite cocky. And uh, uh, you know, Saturday Zoo, Jonathan Ross wanted me to do their series, so I came back from Edinburgh and I and I did a, a I fulfilled a, an old engagement at the TNC Two Town and Country Club yeah, in Highbury Corner, and. I think I forgot the bit about... I've sent my tape to Paul Young. It's right. a bit, bit hissy. I forgot it. And yeah. after about ten minutes, the audience started talking. Because they didn't know who I was. I, you know, I'd, I'd, just, I'd done well in Edinburgh, but yeah. um, this was just a sort of chicken-in-a-basket audience, you know. And, um, yeah, I bombed completely. And, <laughs> and that was a, a bit of hubris for me, realising that you, you've got to set it up and you can never assume... You're going to go down well, can yeah. you? Can you, Richard? You can't. And think it's awful. You can't. You know. Wait, uh, and what's interesting, right? You've been doing this character a long time. So you, you were about mid twenties when you first started doing John. Is that? Yeah, right? I was. That's a scary thing. And I'm now you're the 60. same. Now you're the same age as. Now I'm older than John. Now you're older. Than... John Shuttleworth. I can't make him sixty. I think he's about fifty-eight. Right. Indeterminate late fifties. Okay. When I started him, I was twenty-five. Right. Twenty-six. He was 46. Right. So he's aged very slowly. Aged slow and you've aged quickly. And, do you, and now as, an, uh, as a man of that age, do you look back at the younger you and resent him for... I mean, it was never, it was never cruel or mean, was it? No, you can't the, resent Johnny because he's, no. he's, he's, um, he's a very foolish but a very yeah. sweet man, I think. Yeah. I've just suddenly realised he's got a West Highland Terrier that's about 38 years old. <laughs> um, doing well. Is that there was a great uh, and there was a great edition of Viz? One of my favourite things that was ever in Viz was about Clive Dunn becoming the same age as the character he yeah. played in that time because obviously he was much younger when he actually did it. And it's the day, the day that he became the same age as his character was meant to be. Uh, it's kind of this. They did a very funny article about that. But there's something kind of poetic and sort of wonderful tragic. and tragic about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, it, what started as a joke became a living, and uh, you know, the radio particularly. I, just, I had so many radio series. I've had about 12 <coughs> radio series and, and uh, just done a Christmas special. In fact, it's quite weird coming out on a stage because I've just spent three weeks in a wardrobe working on my Christmas radio special. The reason for that is that 
I'm spending a lot of my time in Leicester now with, uh, where my girlfriend lives and there was no recording studio there so there's a walk-in wardrobe and uh, the, the acoustic was quite good. Uh, but then it, it actually the sound wasn't... The, the, in rush hour, the, the cars were... The bass uh, was too strong. So I went into the bedroom and I made my studio by putting a row of coats and dresses to baffle the sound. Right. And that's what I love about radio is that you can actually record anywhere. And you make those radio shows. So are you making all those radio shows completely on your own and then you send them off? And is yes, that, is that it? So you produce them? Because obviously you're doing <clears throat> several voices. I do, yeah, yeah. And you're doing uh, all the characters. I don't actually produce them. That's Dawn Ellis. It used to be Paul Schlesinger. I know Dawn, uh, yeah. You know Dawn? I know Dawn, yeah. Do you know Paul? I do, I do know Paul Schlesinger. Who yeah. don't you know? Um, well, it's yeah. hard for me to say that. Um... um but no, they were they were very much there. Um, I think Dawn was the PA when I first started. Yeah, light and sound yeah. radio. Yeah. No, the way I the way I do my radio is a, is a bit unusual. I have a multi-track tape recorder, and for people who don't know the Shuttleworths, the, the um, it's it's all the characters. It's John, his wife, her friend Joan Chitty, and John's next door neighbour and sole agent Ken Worthington, and. It's really those four, mainly. Yeah. And it, I do all the voices, and the ladies' voices I do with very speed, by recording slower and then playing it back at normal. Um, about 9% for Mary, right. and only 5% for Joan. Okay. Because she talks like that. It's quite raspy. <laughs> um, weirdly, Ken Worthington, the agent, he talks like that. Hello. I used to use very speed. Right. Because... I want, when I started doing him, his voice was, he was hello, I'm Ken Worthington. It was much lower. Yeah. And I thought, well, let's speed him up and then there'll be more of a contrast with John. So after a while, uh, I realised, actually, I can just make his voice higher. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but I, I basically record the characters one track at a time okay. and then go back. And So I do a bit of John. Hello, Richard, how are you going? Are you all right? Um, and then I'll go back and I'll play that back and Ken, record on Ken's track. So he'll be hearing, hello, Richard. How are you? And he, Excuse me, John. Yeah. It's my chance to interview Richard. <laughs> then I'll go back onto John's track and drop in, as we say in the trade, at the point that I want John to pick up the conversation. Yeah. Excuse me, Ken. Don't interrupt me when I'm talking to Richard. <laughs> then Mary Michael. You know, it's, yeah. it's fun. It's like, it's like sculpting. It, it really is. And, so, and, and sometimes I have to pull the clay off and, and remould it because it's gone wrong. Yeah. So I have to wipe the stuff I've done. I mean, no one else is doing anything quite like that, though. You know what I mean? I think, that you've, I think you've come... Because you've come from a different background with that character anyway, it was always quite... It was always, as you say, it was very different than anything mm. anyone else was doing. But that's... You know, no, no other radio show is made in no. that way. I know. I should get an award, but I've never have. No. Well, I got shortlisted for the Sony Award, but... Um, We've no, it's, it's my method acting coming in. I mean, yeah. it has to... I just think it's... When, I remember when I started doing radio, I, I used to listen to, like, The Archers and, and other radio shows, and I could just see the actors at the mic with their scripts, you know. Uh, oh, hello, how are you today? It's so stilted. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was a big fan of Mike Lee. Uh, I still am, but in the 70s, he did a lot of TV dramas that I absolutely loved, like Abigail's Party and... Um, Nuts in May, Who's Who, Grown Ups, and, and the acting uh, and, and was in, at times incredible and, yeah. and naturalistic. And it slipped more now into, into modern TV production but, and, and radio, but I wanted to imitate the way people really speak because when you speak, you don't know what your, your next phrase is going to be. So you, there's a certain rhythm that you get and you cannot, no actor, how, no matter how good, could not read... Uh, and make it sound completely like he's making it up. Sure. So I make it up. Yeah. All the lines you hear in a John Shuttleworth radio show, it's completely... I have an idea of where I'm going, yeah. you know, but I, I, I do make it up on, yeah. on, on the that's hoof. And, yeah. and that's where you get the ebb and flow of real conversation. Yes, and people interrupt at points yeah. that in a script. If two actors uh, are acting together with, written, with a written script, they cannot possibly 
interrupt each other in that naturalistic way. No, it's, it's, well, it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff, and it's a brilliant... I remember one of the first times... I can't remember why you gave me a cheque for £5. Pounds. I don't know if I'd sold you something. No, I could tell you the story. What was it? You might think Richard's a really hard, cynical man, but, um, well, reading your Twitter... Yeah. But you're quite, you come over as quite, uh, you know... Yeah, I'm, I'm harsh. I'm nasty, am I? But yeah. years ago, I remember being in London and I was at a cash point and my card wouldn't work <laughs> and I, I needed some money. And who should I see walking along but Richard Herring? And he, uh, I told him about my problem and you went into your pocket and you took out a fiver <laughs> and you gave me the fiver. Yeah. Why didn't you give me a tenner? <laughs> <laughs> that was probably, if it was, if it was the early 90s, that was absolutely all I would have had. I was a huge fan <laughs> of John Shuttleworth. No. You sent me a cheque and a badge... Knowing full well that I would put that on a little, put that in. Did you not? I never cashed it. it. So you got five quid off of me, and that's it. I've kept. I kept the check. I I put it behind a little glass thing and put it up on my wall. I've spent the five pound now. (laughs) But but I thought that was a very. uh, I didn't know you terribly well. I thought it was quite a nice gesture. Oh, thank you. Thanks. I'd I'd forgotten what a wonderful person I was. I just remembered thinking, "Ah, no, you never got. I never got that fiver back because I never cashed that. Too late to cash it now. I won't be able to cash it." but no, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was an extraordinary, and still is an extraordinary character, but it was, it was very exciting to see that and, and to see that development. There were, I guess, uh, similarly to Simon Munnery, maybe again, who was a few years behind you, with Alan Parker, who he has, re- he's also resurrected him yeah. 30 years on. Um, but there were, he was the only other person. I started trying to do characters when I came to London, and I could never make it work. You had to pick your venues carefully, yeah. because, yeah, certain clubs, particularly where they served food while you were watching comedy you, yeah. jongleurs comes to mind yeah, you, never you had to uh, avoid because they want to you know dick yeah. jokes don't they they do I, I mean, I, is I, it still I, like that I don't know because I just don't I'm not in I feel I'm a little bit of a fraud I'm not really in the world of comedy anymore and I've, I've forced myself to start watching uh, new stuff that's cutting edge yeah uh, it's like is it stuff stiff stuffy let's splats yes does anyone like know that, that? Definitely. See, I, I am cutting edge. You are, you're, you're far ahead of these. But it, it, Channel 4, you know, it's, a, it's the kind of new wave of comedians coming in with... Again, I think a lot of those people, a lot of the people now are coming in from unusual areas, and I think that's partly because stand-up becomes... You know, it does become a bit homogenised if you're not careful, and, and there's so many people trying to do stand-up that a lot of people coming through. I think like that guy, Jamie Dimitru. Yeah. He, I don't think he was a stand-up. He was more of an actor again. And, and obviously Fleabag is from someone who's written a play and yeah. Chewing Gum again, same thing, come from a drama background. So it's, it's interesting that your stuff comes from a drama background as well. And that, that was, you know, the, yeah. you, there is a place in comedy for that. As well. well, it's the same with Steve Coogan. I remember yeah. chatting with him and, you know, he, he tried to get acting work and, he, and he, he couldn't. And he, he used to go around the clubs doing impersonations and that's how he made his living. And then... Um, he just start, he invented a few characters and he went up to Edinburgh. And, yeah. um, but it, it, it was indicative of the times because, you know, actors just weren't getting the work. And so they would form a little comedy group or yeah. a, 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 a variety. That's where you used to get your equity card, which you needed back then. You, that's another reason I did Jill to John was to get my equity card. Right. You had to do five gigs and then you got your, your card. Um, so, so it, it makes sense that a lot of actors turn to comedy because the, it's more fruitful. Uh, sure. Thing. And the, I'm interested in quite a lot of your jobs. And I'm quite interested you went back to being, you went to, did you, try, did you, did you generally try to become a milkman sort of after, after you were doing John Shetworth? So between it, but the, the creation yeah, and the sort of success of it. It was a time when I was pretty depressed because my mum had died, uh, sort of mid-80s and... Um, and I moved to London, and I was in this very destructive relationship with this, with this girl, and she sort of followed me down. And uh, um, it, Anyway, I won't go into that, but it was like, I, I just... I had low self-worth, Richard, you know, yep. and, uh, and being pretty, pretty <coughs> depressed. I went to see a psychiatrist. I packed in doing John Shuttleworth because that wasn't going anywhere. The acting work wasn't happening. Nobody wanted my mournful love songs. Um, so I went to see a shrink, and after about five sessions, I, I, I suddenly had this... Uh, moment where I thought I want I know what I want to do I want to be a milkman yeah that's what I want to do with my life because I think at the time it was I wanted to help the community right and uh so people I, need milk don't they pardon? The, the people need milk they do need milk. And they well, need I, don't, to bring I can't it to... stand milk I offer 
I, I, I'm soy, a soya man now, oh, but yeah. uh, oat milk. I thought you got into trouble for drinking the milk off the float. That might be the reason you don't like milk now. I did drink the milk off the float. You had to. Such, you expended so much energy rushing around because right. they made you go quite fast. Right. That you'd, I, on average, between five and seven pints a day, right. I would steal from the float. And, and, but after about three months, uh, I stopped whistling. Um, I hadn't had a single glimpse of negligee. No. I mean, I, I just got a, a few old guys sort of saying, oh, we've got time for a cup of tea, milky. This was down in London, I was living. And I would used to say, no, no, because I was behind, you know. Because I, I had other people's rounds because they, they were on holiday, so I didn't have my own round. I had, I had like a relief milkman. So okay. I couldn't do the round, you know. And then I'd, by the end of a week, I'd learnt it. And then they came back off the holiday all tanned and took the round back off me. So, But... I said, you know, I said no to these old guys that wanted a cup of tea and a chat. Yeah. So I realised with hindsight, I wasn't helping the community at all. You weren't, were you? I, I was a selfish twat who just <laughs> was depressed and didn't know what to do right. with my life. So I got a job. I got a job in the, a theatre back in Manchester. Um, I think the Happy Pills were working, and I went for an interview, and I got a job. So suddenly, I was back in. Yeah. I think, but that happens. I mean, it does happen a lot to actors. I think being an actor is such a, it's a, it's such a difficult thing. It's that thing. It's the confidence combined with, um, you know, that there's obviously something shy about a lot of actors as well. So there's that those two opposing things, and then you've got no control over your life, and so you've got those highs and lows. You can be on top of the pops. You can be on Coronation Street, and then you can have nothing to do for two years. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible. That's why it's so nice to have a character like John that I can sort of put away when I'm fed up of it and then I can dust him down as I'm about to. I'm just about to go on a... Um, having sort of hinted that I was going to retire. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I'm, the show is called uh, John Shuttleworth's Back and it's about his bad back. <laughs> Clever. I always like a, a bad pun in my show titles. Yes, of course. My favourite is probably um, The Minotaur. Yes. And other mythological creatures. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm going to be touring everywhere, including Hull. I'm coming to okay. the Hull truck in, I think, March. And it's a big tour. And, um, and you've written a, a book. Is it, is it I've written a book, it's yeah. book or... Well, it's only my second book. You've probably had about ten out, haven't you? Well, I've written a lot myself. You know, you can, they can't stop you. If you just put them out yourself, no one says, no, hold on. But I've done a few, yeah. Yeah, yeah but this is only my second book. Yeah. And, um, I had one out when I had a series, my only series called 500 Bus Stops, and I did a big tour of Waterstones bookshops and everything, signing, and I sold very few. It was amazing. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, so I'm hoping I'll sell a few more. I, I'm really pleased with it. It's called uh, Two Margarines and Other Domestic Dilemmas. <laughs> the Two Margarines refers to one of John Shuttleworth's best-known songs where he, he says, Two margarines on the go, it's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> which is about the familiar problem of um, finding two open tubs of margarine yeah. in your fridge. And, and so I, it's basically the day in the life of John Shuttleworth. He goes around looking, trying to find all the domestic dilemmas but, and, and solving them. But, of yeah. course, being John Shuttleworth, he solves them really badly. Uh, and they're all stupid, like, um, <laughs> you know, uh, how to avoid tripping up over the dishwasher door. Yeah. That's actually, cool. that's quite a serious problem. That is a bit. I, I, did, I yeah. walked into mine the other day just at breakfast. Yeah, well, his solution to that is you can't. You can't. Uh, <laughs> you can't that's, that's one of the unsolvable ones. Yeah. Which is probably why world leaders never discuss it. Yeah. It hurts as well, doesn't it? If you do, it bloody really does, does hurt, does, yeah. you a nasty yeah. crack just at the right yeah. level. But, I, uh, it, it, I mean, I don't know about you, Richard, but I, one of the, the joys for me of this job is it's a bit like... See, I was never... A, I always wanted to do to be something like a carpenter uh, <clears throat> or a plumber, you know, something honourable that yeah. is where you, uh, where you learn a skill and then you practice it. And I feel, because my dad is sort of, I think my dad, he's proud of me, he's dead now, but he, you know, he was very practical with his hands and I, and I sort of wasn't. And I, and I used to just saw and like cut my thumb or cock it up. And so to me, making CDs, making books making tea towels, we've just had a new, a new tea towel come up, wooden yeah. spoons, the merchandise, it's almost <laughs> as much fun to me as the yeah. gig. 
Yeah. That's mainly what I do now. I just mainly think up ideas for merchandise and then I've got to do the podcast just to promote them. Yeah, well, you're um, doing a similar thing with yeah. the podcast. That's kind of DIY, isn't it? So, yeah. But have you got a wooden spoon? I haven't. I haven't even thought of doing wooden spoons. Well, but please, now you've done it, I can't copy that. No, you can't. I'll have to do... Um, could do a spatula or something like that. I have got a tea towel. I did a tea towel. Cumpkin yeah. tea towel. Tea towels are very popular, aren't yeah. they, people? And, I mean, everyone's got too many tea towels, but they still seem to want to buy them. Great. <laughs> What do you do with your exes? I've got a big drawer of tea towels that we never use. They, well, this is it. They build it's up and then eventually you can't shut the drawer. Yeah. Can you? It's true. It's terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask you a couple of emergency questions. Uh, oh. See what comes out early on. Um, have you ever seen a ghost? The honest answer is I haven't. Okay. And I really wish I had. Okay. But, but they I don't haven't. exist, so don't worry. I think they, they do, you see. I don't think they do exist. So, lots of people have seen them. I've heard some, you know, some very uh, exciting stories by asking that question, but only from the, the more mentally ill guests, I would say. So it's, that's... <laughs> um, I'm going to keep it clean, because, you know, I know, I know you're a, you don't like... Uh, this is going to be the clean podcast. This is the, it's going to be, I'm going to keep it clean. But you've got that rude hull lass coming on after, haven't you? Oh, she'll be rude. I'll ask yeah. her as many rude things. Um... Oh, I'll ask... I wonder if... I'll just check this. this you one. can't find one, can you, that's no, not can, cheeky. A, I was going to ask you a Muppet one, but then I'm going to ask you another Muppet one. I'm just going to check it's not too, um, too rude. I think it's back here. It's one of the... There's 25 new questions in the new edition of Emergency Questions. Um, oh, no, that's too far back. That's why I'm not finding it. Is this your book, then? This is the book I write. This, is, oh, this, pro- this has properly been uh, published by a proper publisher. Oh, this is it. I mean, this is a bit blue, but you don't have to... Sure. You know, if your genitals had to be replaced by the face of one of the Muppets, <laughs> the face would be able to interact and communicate in exactly the same way as the puppet. Which puppet face would replace your genitals? Well, they're all pretty hideous, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Um, probably Kermit. Yeah. Because he's quite sweet. Yeah. And then the girls might feel sorry for me. <laughs> Is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, and... Uh, would you rather have a hand made out of ham or an armpit that dispenses sun cream? You'll have to say that again. <laughs> Would you rather... You must have been asked this a thousand times. Would you rather have a hand made out of ham that you can eat, you can just nibble at, and it'll yeah, grow yeah. back, eventually? It grows back, yeah. Yeah, just slowly. You know, you can't just eat it all and it grows back. It'll grow back over a month if you eat the whole thing. You won't have a hand for a month. Or an armpit that dispenses sun cream, unlimited sun cream for you, for, you, for one person. Sun lifetime. You know, sun cream that you put on to protect your skin from the sun. Would you, which of those would you prefer? I mean, you're treating this as if it's a ridiculous question, which you, I, find quite, I find quite offensive. Did you, did you think I created that? that question. You've got problems. Um, that's just... Well, I probably would have to... I'm almost a vegetarian, okay. but I do have a bit of ham But also, it's vegetarian because it's not... No animal has died for the ham hand. It's your own, it's, yeah, it's, but it's meat, though, isn't it? It is, but it's your own meat. You can't... It's not nothing. Okay. You're a vegetarian for, you yeah, know, I the don't reasons. Have, I don't have much of a need for sun cream, because I, I take on a holiday with me, and then I always forget to put it on. Yeah. And, and I find um, I don't get too burnt, actually. Okay. So the answer is the hand of... Good, of well, hand. thank you for answering it eventually. <laughs> and giving it the respect it deserves. That is the weirdest question I've ever been asked. Good. That is my job. You won a pretty baby competition when you were a baby? Do you want to tell yeah. us about that? Yes, I did. <laughs> that's not out of the book, is it? No, You've that's, just my, read that. that's, yeah. that's my Well, my, my father was a professional photographer, okay. and uh, that may have helped, but in 1960, he took a photograph of me, uh, a really cliched picture. I was eating a bit of straw. Okay. I mean, that is quite cliched, isn't it? Like, a bit of straw in my mouth. And, um, but it was in a field as well, and he sent it into the mother and child which was a big magazine at the time, and it won first place, and we won a, a, a fridge. A fridge? <laughs> That's pretty good. Which was a big was. thing to win back yeah. then, because nobody had fridges. We're no. talking 1960, 61, and, uh, yeah. How it, long did the fridge last? The fridge lasted till a, the, at least till the mid-90s. Right. Uh, I, uh, my sister had it in right. a flat in Halston. Okay. And then it broke. Uh-uh. But and that's no, pretty good for a free yeah, fridge. Yeah, fridges were very, very uh, important yeah. back then. 
I mean, they are now, but it was like a big deal. Yeah. What did people do before they pr- fridges? They probably cost two grand or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Two or three grand. Yeah. Was it massive or was it just a regular fridge size? Were the was, old fridges really big? It was an Electrolux. Uh, it was a bit like a small American fridge. Quite yeah. nice curves on it. And, okay. uh, but I was, I was in the Daily Express. Wow. Page three. <laughs> yeah. They have different tastes, those uh, Daily Express. <laughs> can't, it was a different time. You can't judge <laughs> the people of the 50s about that. Uh, and... Can, I mean, the champion mouse breeder, this is... Uh, Shutterworth's slightly come out of this, right? But the, would you did your dad bred mice, did he? No, my dad didn't breed mice, okay, but you I... did. I was a bit of a nerdy teenager. I mean, Saturday morning for me as a 14-year-old, the most exciting thing was getting on the bus, going into the, to the market in Sheffield, where I grew up, Castle Market, and buying a box of broken biscuits and then taking it back home and eating them <laughs> in my bedroom. yeah. Uh, or going and buying a quarter of Nuttles Mintos yeah. and eating them whilst playing with my little tape recorder because I got into sound quite early. I used okay. to do record silly sound effects. I, and I was into very speed early on. I used to record a, uh, a baby uh, sort of crying and, and I did it by recording at half speed and I would go... <laughs> and then you play that back at twice the speed and it sounds just like a baby. Right. <laughs> How I, came, how I chanced on that, I don't know. Because <laughs> that's a bit weird, isn't it? It's so a... the mice, uh, it was already weird. And then I, um, I just saw some mice in a pet shop. And, and then I, I, started, I bought a copy of The Fur and Feather, which was a magazine. <laughs> <laughs> a now defunct uh, fortnightly no, magazine. Yeah, and I, and I Did it split a... into the fur and the feather, two separate magazines? Saying, oh, we don't want the mice and the birds in the same... It was, it was two separate magazines. Oh, I did, but then it came and together. Then, yeah. Like Wizard and Chips. But I... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I joined the National Mouse Club. Yeah. And uh, it does exist, still going. I think the whole branch is quite, uh, doing quite well. At the, Probably a few uh, people in from that. And I used to go to my sh- mouse shows, age 15. I used to get on the bus and go to places like Keithley and... Saltaire, yeah. and be in these St. John's ambulance rooms with all these old guys looking at mice, picking them up, and, oh, that's a nice mouse. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead and laugh. It is funny. <laughs> Do you still have any, any music? No, I can't. But no. Funnily, when my kids were um, about six, I got, I, I got a few more, because I, um, I moved to Louth in Lincolnshire, yeah. just down the road. It's only taken me an hour to get here. And... Um, we met an old mouse breeder that I remember from when I was 14. And he said, oh, I've got some nice uh, pink-eyed whites. Come and, come and see me. So I took a, I took a few of his mice, and I, for about three months, I tried to get my kids into it. But then one, one went a bit mad and started biting me, and I, I just thought, I don't, why am I doing this? I don't like mice. I don't even like mice, you know? And I, and I don't like mice at all. I, don't, I think they're horrible. They are pretty horrible. We saw, we went to a little petting zoo and had, had some, well, my son called them mice. One of them was a rat. One of them yeah, was, uh, like one rats, was a, chin, is it chinchilla? Is that what it's called? Yeah, I don't like that. I don't, no. certainly don't like gerbils. They move far too quickly. Okay. I like uh, guinea pigs. Yeah. If you notice guinea pigs, and I'm slipping into John now, but they, <laughs> they're not frightened to establish eye contact. And, I haven't and noticed men, that about And maintain them. it. Right. They'll always be looking at you. Okay. They never look away. Whereas if you, if you try and stare a dog out, yeah. after a while the dog will just go look away and sort of <laughs> look away and lick its fur and yeah. try to catch a fly. But a guinea pig will just keep looking at you. I haven't noticed that about them, but I'm glad, I'm glad that's come up. Good. <laughs> um, uh, and well, you, you were talking about, backstage about um, kind of... In, you had a sort of... It wasn't exactly a breakdown, was it? In the two, it, you, yeah, it was a breakdown. Was, it was a breakdown. Well, no, it's, it's still got... A, that word has connotations, it does, doesn't it? It was, a, it was memory loss, fueled by working too hard and drinking too much Guinness at night after yeah. my show. And ironically, it was a character called Dave Tordoff who came from Ghoul. And I'll do a little bit... Turn up, I, I, you're all right. And basically, we're like a Brexiteer, you know, big yeah. time. And he, he were... Um, but, uh, anyway, the show was... 
He was a rich builder. Yeah. Uh, one, one review said he knows the value of... He knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Okay. Which I thought, that summed him up, really. He, um, he was based on a friend that I met at a school reunion who was uh, just... Uh, I'm on 28K. Uh, <laughs> me, me daughter's a model. Here's a picture of her. I've got a Triumph Bonneville in my drive. I've got a Ford Discovery doing very, very well. Doing very well. <laughs> so he was, a, he was a mason and all. Yeah, and yeah. I just thought it was a great character and I, and I worked hard on it and I did a show that I took to Edinburgh and I previewed at the, in Hull, at the Hull truck, called Neighbours from Hull. And um, it was going really well and I'd even got secured a place on the Nicholas Parsons oh, yes. uh, radio thing. And then one day, I just, halfway through the show, I just forgot what I was doing. Right. Completely. And uh, you say, do you believe in ghosts? Do you yeah. believe in tumbleweed? Because <laughs> I, blood, I bloody saw some tumbleweed. Terrible. And, uh, well, it's a terrifying thing to have. I've only had that happen, you know, for a few moments. Yeah. Where you just completely... I mean, usually you know a show so well that you can run an autopilot a bit. But it's, it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like but a you new see, show. you're good at talking crap as well, aren't I you? I am, You can yeah. just come out with anything. Whereas this was all finally scripted. Sure, sure. And, but it's an interesting point because as Shuttleworth, I'd, I'd, had mem- Sorry. I'd had memory loss. I'd had memory loss before, but because of the nature of John Shuttleworth, he's, he's more bumbling. And it still happens in, in the middle of a song, I'll forget a lyric and I'll just have to stop the song. And then I'll go, oh, I've forgotten the words, you know, and people laugh. And yeah. then, what was I singing about? What was I talking about? And then some kind fan will shout out, yeah. Uh, it, was, it was about, can't go back to Savory, or, you know, yeah. uh, and they'll help me out. But as this, this character, Dave Tordoff, was a very, very different to me, that's the thing. Yeah. He's a kind of a, a very sort of smart builder who knew the price of everything. And so it threw me, and I basically, I, I instinct kicked in and I recovered, got to the end of the show, but I walked off and I, I thought, I can't go on again. I just cannot do that show again. And I walked, I just left Edinburgh. Yeah. And, um, I mean, a lot of people feel like that in Edinburgh and don't do that. It's kind of impressive to do it. I've certainly had Edinburgh's where I felt like doing it. Well, that. I just couldn't go on. And, and I think it was my body and my mind saying, you've been working... Because I'd, I'd just been making a film called It's Nice Up North, which was the John Shuttleworth film. Right. And, and I had a, three years editing it and the, my hard drive had blown up and I'd had all sorts of problems. Yeah. And I got a bit obsessed with, with Shetland and I was watching... Uh, video, uh, a sort of early um, uh, Google Earth where you could move your mouse on the computer and go up a little lane, uh, a little country road, and then turn left, and you'd be at a dead end. And I'd sort of stop and watch that for a while. And it's a bit Van Gogh, the cornfield, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I was cracking up, I was cracking up. Yeah. So I needed a break, and I did take a break, and then I came back, and sadly, I've never really done Dave Tordoff live again, and I would love to, because he was a good character. Yeah. Does anyone know Dave Tordoff? Yeah, it was a good character, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, he was brilliant, you know. And my career suffered because of him. <laughs> Bring him back. Yeah, well, I'd love to. I just kind of need to, yeah. I think yeah, that's a scary thing. You know, it's a scary thing to happen. And, it, and, it, and again, you hear actors having that where they, dr- where they, have, they dry and then they can never go back on stage again at all. You yeah, know, it didn't. Do. I mean, I had some hip- hypnotherapy on that. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and it worked very well. But... Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm 60 now. I am a bit lazy, and I like just doing things like walking and uh, going to the library and yeah. reading books on philosophy. And, and you know, I, I sort of look at the world of comedy and, and think, well, it's not very funny. You know? yeah. but, but I think that's... But there's other you, things in life. But there's, well, that's, that's certainly true, and I think, you know, I think that you do come out of that tunnel a little bit as you know i think as if you to become a successful comedian i think you have to be pretty obsessed especially now with what you're doing and yeah. it seems like that's all that's important in the world and you come out the other side uh, you know as a bit of an older person and, yeah, and realize but, that that's crazy but but you've got stuff there i mean you know john shuttleworth can go on forever yes, and i hope it does go on yeah, forever i think he can yeah and and you've got your niche and it's, nobody else is doing anything like that you know the people you've mentioned like john hegley is it's not the same, is it? But he's doing, he's doing his own thing. It's the same in that he's doing his it own is, thing. It is, but it's not a million miles away from John Shuttleworth because he has a persona yeah. and it's the kind of wacky guy who comes out in these strange little phrases and, uh, and reads his poem, plays songs. So, yes, I can carry on doing John Shuttleworth and nothing else but I, and, and then just go into the library and read philosophy books. But 
I've still, deep down, I, I, I have this feeling that my beautiful love songs that got rejected by chapel music in favour of the Shuttleworth yeah. songs are good. And, and I brought an album out last year called Weird Town. And um, it's... Gideon Coe on Six Music loves it. He right. keeps playing a song called Diary of a Skinbird, which... Um, does anybody know that? Diary of a Skinbird? <laughs> anyway, uh, but that's you but know, it's really good. Yeah, and, and I suppose what I'm saying is, I want to do my own music and, and write some. The music, some good with the, songs. I mean, the thing, the reason all of these that John Wirt and and John Shuttleworth worked is because the music is really good, right? So those songs yeah. would have worked. The, the Jill John songs would have worked as a non-parody song, you know. I think well, I, it was funny as well, so that was yeah. that was the thing. No, I, I think but you're not clearly a great musician, but then that's a you know, but that's. So many comedians have that thing where they start doing something seriously and then the comedy version does better. So many comedians want to be rock stars. Yes. I so know. if you've got that, you've got those competing things within you, that's, that's a difficult thing to struggle with a little bit, I guess, isn't it? If, if, you, if you want to be taken seriously as a, as a musical artist... Yeah, it is hard to be taken seriously. When, and I did a tour last year called Completely Out of Character yeah. as myself. And there were... Mainly the big Shuttleworth fans found it hardest to, to yes. see. People who had never seen John Shuttleworth, who just came on spec, they really loved it. Yeah. So that was interesting. But if you've got, yeah, if you've got a reputation of some, doing something, then you, it's hard to kind of break away from that. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not very precious about it. And I, I know John Shuttleworth is very loved. And so is Jilted John. And it's like I've created two really good characters that will be remembered for centuries. <laughs> well, that be know, nice. But Jill to John is, for, you know, it's for, like you're saying, is it forty? It's forty years. Is that what you're It's forty-one. Forty-one years. years. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. That, and especially for something that was one song that became a hit. You know, I know you yeah. had the album, you did other stuff, but for people to still remember that fondly, I really, you know, I, it was so important to to me that you know, I was you I were mean, the I, right age, right? Yeah, you? I was, I was yeah. seven years younger than you. But just going years. back to what you were saying about, because I feel you know, it's hard to keep my drive going. I, what I noticed about you is that you seem immensely driven. And yeah, in a nice way. But um, I, what? How do you do that? Is that because you're just a bit younger than me, or you still got? I think I don't a little think bit. You've made it, or what? I think is it, it? Well, it's partly that. It's partly because you've got. I've got to keep uh, feeding my kids now. Yeah. But then the kid, but that's the, you know, that's the, that's the separate thing because you sort of, well, actually, I don't want to be so driven because I want to spend more time with my kids than, yeah. than, you know, be going out on the road. So this is why this suits me. I can come and do this once a week rather than five times a week and so I can spend more time with my kids. I think, I, you know, I love doing what I'm doing and I think both of us are doing, you know, we're, we're fortunate to have created enough of a, a persona or a, a brand, if you want to call it that, that people will still come and see it and that we, you know, you don't need to be hugely famous in fact it's much better not to be hugely famous it's much better yeah. to be you know and be doing what you want to do so i love what i'm doing i think is the, is the truth of it most of it um writing scripts is which i still do i find i find really difficult as i'm doing it but then i love mm. it when i've finished it and so to, to be in that position where you are still allowed to do the thing you love and unusually as a comedian i wanted to be a comedian i didn't want to be Did a you? rock star yeah so yeah. i was i'm not I, I like fun i like lyrics and i like i like the poetry of music much more than the music itself. And so I think a lot of comedians are sort of frustrated rock stars, but I, I just always wanted to be a comedian. So it's, you know, I feel quite happy that this is my, my yeah. job. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I probably want to be a folk singer. I want yeah. to be taken seriously uh, for my... Or po- a poet or something, you know? Yeah. I've realised actually a lot of... I've written so many songs, and a lot of them, if I just read the lyrics out, it's quite a good poem, yeah. you know? Um, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll... You might see me in a pub... Somewhere. But you can do. I mean, but also reading. the the beauty of of you is that you know your name isn't the same as your character, so you can you can divorce the two things and and do those. The, the you know you can see it within the the love that goes into the the characters you've done mm. and the language. the 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 thing about John Shuttleworth is the is the choice of language, isn't it? It's the it's the under. It's the what under, do you mean, love? Well, it's <laughs> you yeah. do, but you know what I mean. It's it is. There's poetry in it. The reason it works. Because it's not joke jokes, is it? I mean, there are some there's humorous stuff in it, but it's not. It's the comedy of the mundane. It of, is, and yeah. picking the mundanity yeah. and, and picking out the the right choice of words for that, isn't it? So it's there's a poetry. It is. It's fixating on sort of not much going on and the little things in yeah. life. And I think that's why I quite like Jamie's the the, the uh, stuffy flats yeah. thing, um, and and a lot of what uh, Julia 
Davis. Yes, Julius Davis. That, yeah, yeah. And, and they're all at it now. They're all kind of doing that, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's the modern uh, furrow to plough, really, isn't it? Which, uh, you, you know, you don't... I mean, that's why I'm slightly disappointed with Simon Pegg, because he always... I, I met Simon Pegg in Bristol, and he, it was his very first gig, yeah. and he was supporting me. And I was sort of quite well established, but about 93, 94. And uh, he seemed a nice lad. And he went on and did his... And he, he absolutely stormed it. He went, and then he came to, um, to, to London and rang me up once and said, can you give me some advice? And I probably told him a couple of clubs. And then next thing, he's a massive star making all these big films. And, yeah. and they always start off really well and well-observed. And they end up with everyone getting blown up. And I don't get that. And it just, it's like they ran out of ideas. Yeah, well, I, that, but that's, I think it's interesting that uh, a lot of that, that, the career progression of an extremely successful comedian is stand up going to Hollywood and making stuff that probably isn't as good as what you would make. You know, I think Coogan, the stuff he makes himself. Should we is, slag Coogan off? No, now? I'm not going to slag oh. him off. I think the stuff, he, you know, Alan Partridge is better than nearly any of the, mm. the, the, the certainly the Hollywood films he's done. So, you know, you go, you're aiming for that Hollywood thing and then you go and do it and then it's actually, this is quite a dull... I, you yeah. know, I, I'm a big fan of Simon Specs and Steve Googans, but I think they're, they're sort of better than the things that they end up being in that are, that are seen as being successful. Yeah. So, you know, it's all, it's all about perspective. I think Steve Coogan is a very complex man. I used to know him quite well. I, don't, I haven't seen him for a few years, but he, I think he wanted stardom. Yeah. And, and I don't know about you, but I never wanted stardom. I just wanted to, to do good work. Yeah. And... And, and for people to appreciate that it was good. Yeah. But, but the stardom or the notoriety thing that goes with it, I don't, I'm not really interested in it. No. Well, you know, I think when we started, I, I did start working with him, and I think I, understand, I understood that that drive to become famous or be the most successful comedian, I understand it, and I would, mm. I, there would have been a part of me that would have loved that to happen when I was 22. Yeah. But, yeah, I think but absolutely. But now I'm 52, I'm absolutely... So delighted. And you realise that your kids are a bit more important than... Yeah, only a bit. Probably only my daughter. If I could swap my son for stardom, I'd do it. But I wouldn't do both of them, because the daughter's all right. I really want to start on this bottle, but I've not finished that one. I feel bad. It's the two pots of margarine. Well, look, we're going to have to... We've gone on way too long. We're going to have to stop. Okay. So it's all right. So you you can take your water off with you and keep it. As a, as a gift from me to you, as long with that five quid I gave you. Did you ever pay the bloke that they could let you record for 25 quid the extra 55 quid that you, did, you didn't, that it was 80 quid to get, record your thing? Did you go back when you were a successful? No, I never monster? did. Um, and no. I feel, I didn't feel bad about it, but now you mention it, I feel quite okay, bad good. about it. Yeah. Been nice. Would have been I think a nice, would have been a nice gesture, that's all I'm saying. It would have been a nice gesture. Um, it's fantastic to talk to you Graham and thanks so much for doing this Uh, do check out the tour and the book ladies and gentlemen Graham Fellows thank you we'll be back next week go and have a drink in a wee you have been listening to Rahalastapa with me Richard Herring and my guest Graham Fellows aka Jilted John aka John Shuttleworth and so on. Thank you very much to Pest. That's the name of the band who are playing this particular music for you. Thank you very much to everyone at Hull City Hall. Wonderful gang of people there who looked after us really well. Thank you also to my producer, George Lingford. In the incom- George the Incompetent Sandman. He's moved up to production. Thank you to the serious producer, Ben Walker. Uh, this is a fuzz. Go faster. Strike.com and... Sky Potato Production. Why not head to gofasterstrike.com, buy some emergency questions, books, some um, the top trumps, whatever you fancy, my friends. There's downloads, there's books, there's all the work of many fantastic comedians there for you to peruse and enjoy. See you next time on Rahalastapa. Hooray!